Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. It's hard to believe, but there are only six shows left in 2022 for What She Said. That means I only have 36 more interviews this year to get great information into your hands to help you make sense of it all. And that's putting some pressure on me because above all else, I produce this show weekly for you. So I want to hear from you. What do you want to hear more about right now? Drop me a line at Candace at what she said talk.com to share your thoughts or message me on social media at what she said talk. Today's show, though, is all wrapped up in a pretty little bow for you, so here's what's coming up. When Loblaws announced last month that they were freezing prices on their no name brand, the response wasn't favorable. The public, already at or past the financial breaking point, saw it for what it was, a PR stunt meant to distract from the fact that they are making record profits at the same time that food banks are seeing their highest demand ever. Melissa Silber aims to educate the Canadian public on large corporate conglomerates in Canada, as well as help entrepreneurs and small business owners, and joins me today to discuss greedflation. From the price of groceries in stores to managing the reality at home, Panita Chitwal-Varma, a food and sustainability author who teaches people how to lead a low-waste, people-planet-friendly lifestyle through her website Maple and Marigold, is on a mission to help a million people change how they cook and eat while creating positive habits in their kitchen and at home, and yes, all on a budget. Anne Brody is in with entertainment and the Oscar contenders keep coming with Florence Pugh coming in strong in The Wonder available on Netflix this month and two documentaries about music megastars with My Life as a Rolling Stone which takes a deep dive on each member of this iconic band and the return of Tanya Tucker. Degrassi fans will want to stick around for this next interview. Linda Schuyler is the executive producer and co-creator of over 500 episodes of the internationally recognized multi-award winning Degrassi television franchise. Her memoir, The Mother of All Degrassi, is out now and Linda joins me to share a little bit behind her incredible story. Lindsay Seeley, author of Made for More, is back with a look at the Supergirl syndrome and how it places undue pressure on Gen Z women and girls. Lindsay shares some tips that we can all employ to help them and possibly ourselves escape from this trap. Finally, Sunshine and Broccoli, the Juno-nominated duo from Toronto, who know how important it is for children to have music of their own, have released a new album. Lisa Sunshine joins me to discuss how the pandemic pushed them to write this album for today's kids and then shares the song Born to be Brave with Us, a song kids and adults will love. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Like most Canadians, you're likely wondering where the money is going to come from to cover the basics in your life, like fuel, groceries, and telecom. The corporations that run these industries continue to post record profits on the backs of ordinary citizens so that a select few shareholders can benefit. But is this sustained growth possible? At what point will the public break? It's a question Melissa Silber has been entertaining and by extension educating others about through her TikTok series. Melissa aims to educate the Canadian public on large corporate conglomerates in Canada as well as help entrepreneurs and small business owners. Today, we're going to take a look at our grocery chains. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you for having me. I came across your TikTok, found it incredibly informative. So what prompted you to start this series? 
Well, I had 15 years experience in the corporate world. In 2021, I left the corporate world to help entrepreneurs. And I there's a lot of stuff happening in the corporate world I didn't really jive with. And I saw on TikTok that there was a lot of misinformation about what is driving these increased prices. And Recently, in the NDP party put forward a motion in the House of Commons to investigate the potential collusion or price gouging of grocery conglomerates in Canada. And I wanted to kind of investigate that a bit further. Yeah, I mean, and we can't forget either this. It's not like this. There's no precedent for this. I mean, Loblaws was involved in fixing bread prices for years. So it's not as if this couldn't possibly happen. But I think the bigger thing here to talk about is that this is a totally nonpartisan issue. And oftentimes the public confuses us and thinks that it has something to do with our political parties. Absolutely. And that is that is the misinformation that I am trying to combat. And I think that the more we educate ourselves on who we are giving our money to, the the better we'll be in general and the better informed we'll be going forward when we make our choices because we have a lot of power as consumers and what this series has brought out is just how many conglomerates own small little businesses that you think you're supporting small and they actually are owned by these large corporations. So without that education, people can't make those educated decisions and the prices of groceries have just gotten insane. So let's talk about this for a second. And I'm going to I'm going to pick on Loblaws. I mean, it's not like we have a lot to yeah. pick on here uh, because we really have very few choices in Canada when it comes to competition. So we're going to focus on Loblaws, uh, especially since they just came out with their price freeze, which people saw right through. Um, I was surprised to hear that the TNT grocery chain was owned by Loblaws. Grocery stores were owned by Loblaws. What other stores are owned by them? Loblaws actually owns Fortino's, Zares, No Frills, TNT, as you mentioned, Real Canadian Superstore, and Shoppers Drug Mart. Yeah, these are huge everyday stores. I mean, I can't think of, uh, actually, when I try to think of a small mom and pop store near me, I can't think of one for groceries or drugs. I can't really either. And I think what's happened, especially in certain areas like Southern Ontario, I think slowly over time, these mom and pop shops have been bought up by the three or, you know, two big conglomerates, which are Loblaws. The second largest is Empire, which owns Sobeys and a whole other bunch of grocery stores. And then Metro. What I've heard is that there are other ways to do it out west, people who have co-ops, and but I don't have any of those near me. So that's not always an option for people. So what do you think then the solution is to this? Because it's clear that we have no competition in Canada when it comes to uh, basics like our food supply. How do we fix this problem? Well, that that is the million dollar question, isn't it? Uh, the government has unanimously voted to address the problem. And I, I think, I believe it will be very easily found out that there is a problem, but it is what, how do we fix it? That's the true question there. And I, I wish I had that answer. Um, I think the more that we dive deep and kind of unravel what, what exactly has happened in this kind of unfettered capitalist state that we're in, we can maybe come up with changing the rules. I think that's what needs to happen. Yeah, I don't think we're going to have any answers here today. Uh, Shell just posted $9.51 billion in profit this quarter, uh, which was slightly lower than the record $11 billion they posted last quarter, but also substantially more than last year when they only had $4 billion. So you can't, they can't continue to blame this on supply or, you know, uh, all of these other issues that they keep pointing to. It it is just plain greed at this point, and the public cannot maintain anymore. Well, they can't, and I don't know how these stores in good conscience, and I know at the store level, they don't have control over the prices. That has been a discussion in my comments. They say, oh, you know, they're independently owned, and they're, they're, people are saying, no, the prices come from above. We all have to do it. And I don't know how in good conscience they can be hiking these prices while their own employees are not getting any increases. So, you know, they're pricing their own employees and 
everyone else out of being able to buy food. And, um, you know, food insecurity has been an issue for a, a while. It's now affecting people who it didn't used to affect before. So it's affecting more people than ever. But people who were already struggling are now in a very desperate situation. And I think if there's anything we can do, it would be to, if you're able to, buy extra and support families in your community, donate to the food banks. We just need to make sure that everyone gets fed. I believe that is a human right. And, you know, it's interesting as, as we're discussion, discussing this, you know, it just came out the other day, Food Banks Canada uh, said that their demand in their, was the highest ever in March with one and a half million families seeking support at the food bank at a time when grocery stores are posting record profits shows there is a massive disconnect in this society. Absolutely. And it's, uh, yeah, as I said, I think food is a human right. I don't like that corporations are gatekeeping food and I don't think they should be allowed to continue to hike up the prices as they have been. And they're, it, it's very obvious now it's gotten to a point where it's ridiculous. And I, I hope to be a part of the solution on how we, we fix this going forward because it is not sustainable. Now, one of the things you talked about was the profit margin because the, the grocery stores are always declaring that they have very little margin uh, mm -hmm. on their products. What was it that you found about that? So I looked at on my TikToks the gross profit margin. So that is different than the margins that they will be discussing. They pay their taxes on their net profits way at the bottom. So the gross profit margin is just all their revenues minus their cost of sales. So what they have to pay to get those goods in the store. So even though they then go on to further spend money on operating costs to get to their net profit, the gross margins are kind of what they start with, right? And so each company has their own discretion on how they use their operating money. So that's why I like to look at the gross numbers, because that is the number right off the bat that they are up marking the products that they're buying in. And I found that Loblaws was the highest with a profit margin of about 30%. Empire was second to that with 25% and the Metro was the third group was 20%. So Metro is doing the most with the least amount of gross profit. And they're, you know, they're my favorite. <laughs> I've only done those three for grocery. I have a whole bunch more on my list. I have no shortage of people suggesting other conglomerates to go through and the telecoms industry is next. Well, what's interesting to me is that you back up what you uh, share with receipts because you are an accountant, yes. you, you are an expert in this field, <laughs> which I love, and you're just presenting facts for people to make their own decisions, which is fabulous. So I want people to be able to keep up with your series. It's incredibly informative. So where can they find you? So I'm doing the series on TikTok. My handle is Melissa Silber CPA, Silber S-I-L-B is in Bob, E-R. And if you wanted to come to my website. It's melissasilbercpa.ca. And I have a free accounting guide that I have for small business owners. And if they want to sign up for my mailing list, I'd love to be in contact. All right. Incredible. Melissa is here to help the little guy, which we all need right now. So get in touch with her. And Melissa, thanks so much. I really do appreciate your series. I hope everybody pops on over and checks it out. Thank you so much for having me. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Everywhere you look, prices are going up. Food in particular, fruits and vegetables, rice and flour, the essentials are being hit hard. In addition to the financial pressure on our wallets, we also need to address the strain on our climate. The generation's long burden put on the planet and our shared resources is now showing up as horrific, catastrophic events around the world. Hopeless, right? 
wrong. Meet Panita Chitwell-Varba, a food and sustainability author who teaches people how to lead a low-waste, people-planet-friendly lifestyle through her website, Maple and Marigold. Panita's on a mission to help a million people change how they cook and eat and create positive habits in their kitchen and at home. Welcome to the show, Panita. Hello, Candace. Thanks for having me here. I'm so happy to have you here because I I know you. From, we have a little bit of a history together, and I, you're just one of the most joyful, positive people I know. And if anybody can take this situation and help us turn it around, it's you. So welcome to the show. It's so great. Thank you. Thank you, Candice. I mean, joy and positivity is what we need, right? Because the news feed can feel like the harbinger of doom. But what I uh, what I feel and what I've learned in my work, my experience tells me that hopeful, positive, deliberate, collective action, that's what we need right now. Um, and, and all of us have a role to play. And I think personally, myself, and I probably speak for many people, right now, the choices are a little bit overwhelming. We don't know what to choose. Mm. First off, do we base it on price? Do we base it on planet? Uh, and how do we make those choices in the grocery store with the limited time we have every week. This is where you come in, right? Yes. And and what I've learned is that they're both the same. We are walking together with ourselves and the planet hand in hand. Um, and really, sustainability, living green is not really as hard or as expensive as Instagram would have us believe, right? We don't need so many things, so many more sustainable. You can't see my quotes right now, but that's what I'm doing. You know, the, the green products out there, we don't need any of that. There are simple solutions that we can adapt into our daily lives and our routine using what we have and in the end, reducing what we throw away. Now, you don't come at this from just a home cook perspective. You've done the research. Tell me about what you've been diving into. So I've been in this space for a good um, four years. I mean, I, I've been in the space of living sustainably all my life. That's how I was raised in India. And growing up, this was just part of our, uh, you know, everyday routine. And then in the last three, four years, four years um, is when the research really took front and center. Since that um, that first IPCC report, and I say first, but it really was maybe the 17th because IPCC and United Nations have been talking about this um, for a long time. And But it was that 2019 October report that really took it home for me and I saw how all of us need to do our part. It's the reason why my book is coming together. I'm researching and writing a science-based cookbook that is all about eating sustainably and uh, um, a lifestyle that is attainable, accessible for all, that is also really joyful and positive, right? I'd like to touch on a second, though. You talk about food and mood, which I really feel that, you know, there's certain things I eat and man, does it really affect me. So let's talk about that a little bit. Tell me how you help people navigate that space of food and mood. So, so this actually is a balance because over the years of research, I've seen that the food that actually is great for our mood, and that really means our gut health and our brain health. And, and I go into it um, um, into more detail into um, my website and the work that I do. But food and mood are inextricably connected. And what I've learned over the years is that the foods that are good for our mental health are also the same foods that are great for the health, the long-term health and prosperity of the planet. So people and planet, boy, do we go together. <laughs> do, we, do we ever? We're, we're realizing this, I think, every day now. Uh, I, I, we don't have a lot of time left. Let's just get to eating with benefits, please, because I want people to be able to connect with you. Yes. So eating with benefits is a framework, five strategies that I've created. It's on Mabel and Marigold. I would love for people to start adopting it into their life. Of course, my book comes out um, April 2024, so it's a long way to go. Um, but in the meanwhile, sign up for my newsletter. It's again on Mabel and Marigold, and we can stay in touch and Right people and planet together. 
I, I just signed up prior to our interview, so I will absolutely <laughs> be following along. And you also offer cooking classes. Uh, you have an events page with cooking classes. So I encourage people to go check that out. Perfect gift for the holidays. I have to stress that. Uh, I'm a experience over thing person, so I think that's a great uh, thing to gift people. Oh, that's wonderful, right? Sunday Cooking Club was, um, it's coming back in a couple of months. I think in January, I don't have the date in my head, but Sunday Cooking Club is coming back in the new year. And then so are the rest of the cooking classes. So this is very exciting. Thank you. Wonderful. Panita, you're a joy. Thank you so much for joining me. We're going to have you back in April when your book comes out because we all want to hear more about that. So thank you so much. She said to me, Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies, Anne and I are very cold this week as both of us are holding out on turning the heat on. So we're going we're gonna to warm up with some new entertainment. Let's talk about The Wonder, Anne. Oh, my word. This is a sensational film. But it's kind of chilling, too. It's from Sebastian Lilio. Uh, and it stars Florence Pugh, who, in my view, is one of the great, great British actors at the moment. She plays a nurse who's escaping uh, starvation in London to go to Ireland, where they've just had the famine, but they're over it. So she, she has a job. She's to watch a young girl who just turned 11, who hasn't eaten in four months. And the family and a local commission are asking her to watch her. Uh, 12 hours a day, a nun will watch her another 12 hours a day. And it's connected to religion. She says, I always feel full because I'm feeding on manna from heaven in anticipation with living of living with God in heaven. So there's a whole uh, spiritual, uh, biblical, Catholic thing going on here. And uh, Lib, uh, Pew, says that if necessary, she will force feed her. She tries. It's not successful. And things come to a real head. Honestly, the darkness of this picture is, I'm haunted. I'm still getting goosebumps thinking about it. I have to ask you, Anne, is this, um, in your opinion, do you think this one's going to be an Oscar contender? Because I'm hearing a lot of buzz about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good heaven, yes. Not just for Pew, but also for the young girl, uh, Keela Lord Cassidy. She's just amazing, and she's like an adolescent. Uh, so a young man, a young local man who's educated, um, puts his brain together with hers, and they devise this plan, this outrageous plan. Anyway, it's an absolute must-see. It's on now at TIFF, Bell Lightbox, and Select Theatres, and it's on Netflix on the 16th. All right, amazing. All right, let's talk about My Small Land. This is a sad commentary on immigration, not just in the United States, but around the world. Uh, a Kurdish family is living in uh, Japan and waiting for uh, a resident alien status. So there's a father and uh, three children, and the girl, the teenage girl, has a job after school. But they're waiting for this stamp of approval. They are rejected which means the father can't work, the girl can't work or go to school, they can't leave their neighborhood. It's just so inhumane. Uh, and it follows her life. What's she going to do? What's the family going to do? Then her father's in prison, and this girl must take care of her family. It's the saddest thing, but I guess this goes on an awful lot. You know, and she's trying to keep her Kurdish values, but she pretends to be German because of uh, racism there. And, you know, what starts as a gentle coming-of-age story builds to this dramatic, gut-wrenching cry for social justice. That's also on at Tiff Bell Lightbox and in theaters. It's well worth seeing. Excellent. I was drawn personally this week to two documentaries you feature. Uh, the first is My Life as a Rolling Stone. Oh, yeah. And then let's move into the return of Tanya Tucker. My Life as a Rolling Stone features an hour on each member, including the late Charlie Watts. And I want to talk about Mick and Keith because they're the front boys. 
Mick, of course, is a fabulous raconteur, and he does does great interviews, and he, he lets drop a lot of bombs. Um, you know, and it was interesting. He talks about someone asking him what it was like to be famous, and he said, well, I'm the wrong person to ask <laughs> because he'd been famous since he was 17. So how would you know, you know, in your 80s, what it was like to be famous? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, um, and he says there's so many myths out there about him, and he doesn't really bother with them. They just become reality after a while, and he just lives his life and does his thing. Um, the greatest thing about this documentary series is that it is so musically and emotionally powerful, and it's nostalgic. And, I mean, I've loved the Rolling Stones like everybody else since I was a kid. And it takes you right back there. And you see how outrageous they were on the early British TV shows. And then on uh, on Ed Sullivan, they weren't allowed to um, sing Let's Spend the Night Together. So they had to change the lyrics. <laughs> but yeah, it's really good. Now, Keith, Keith's a fascinating guy. Apparently, Mick always assumed that he was a leader. And he is. He looks after the finances. So they don't get screwed over. But Keith believes he is because he's the musical heart of it. Now, he does superb songs that range the, every genre of music in him, you can imagine. But he, he has these riffs that he does. He repeats musical phrases on his guitar over and over and over. Each repetition is slightly different. And, you know, it's never monotonous. And that is, now to realize it, the key to their music, what makes it so strong and what imprints it on our brains so much for these past 60 years, if you can imagine. Unbelievable. Really, really good. Really good. We don't have a lot of time, Anne, but can we jump into Tanya Tucker just quickly? Because I, I really want to touch on her. Yeah, well, Tanya Tucker hasn't made an album in 16 years. So Brandy Carlisle got wind of this and has been working with her for the past five years. She documented it all in film. And we see that Tanya Tucker, who was a star from age... Well, she started singing professionally at eight, and she was a global superstar at 13. She's still got that voice, but she's absolutely beset by anxiety. So she doesn't show up for some things, and she then she, you know, part, towards the end, she just walks away from the whole project. Um, and it's really maddening, and I don't understand why. Um, and really not a lot is of, it, of explanations are given. But it's frustrating. Still, you know, she has a son who loves her and a boyfriend who loves her and uh, lots of support now in the community. And, of course, the record that they made over that time won a bunch of Grammys. So it's it's a good news story. It's well worth seeing. She's quite a little firecracker. <laughs> and where is that? And where is that playing? That is in theaters. And thanks so much for this. You have these and, of course, a whole bunch more over on whatshesaidtalk.com. And we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. What will be, will be When I grew up and fell in love I asked my sweetheart what lies ahead More with Candace Sampson and What She Said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. If you're Canadian, you've likely been a devotee of the Canadian teen drama franchise Degrassi, which is much a part of the Canadian experience now as maple syrup. Created in 1979, Degrassi, according to the mother of all Degrassi, Linda Schuyler, became the world's longest running anti-bullying campaign. Linda is the executive producer and co-creator of over 500 episodes of the internationally recognized multi-award winning Degrassi television franchise. A member of both the Order of Canada and the Order of Ontario, her memoir, The Mother of All Degrassi, will be released in November. She joins me now. Welcome to the show, Linda. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Candace. I am so excited to have you here. I am curious, what has it been like watching the evolution of teenagers uh, since 1979? How has that changed? Well, interesting. Um, we actually have to chart uh, my involvement with teenagers well before 1979. Um, I started, um, I had an eight-year career as a junior high school teacher. 
where I dealt on a daily basis with teenagers and saw how, you know, their bodies were changing, their minds were changing, and they were one day, they would be an adult, the next day they would be a child. And it was a very special time when you're growing up. And what I had observed while I was teaching is there was no storytelling that was directly um, for this audience. So um, when I left teaching and wanted to become a television producer, that became my main goal. I wanted to talk to young people in a respectful way, meet them where they were at, and reassure them that what they were going through, they were not alone. And ever since, you know, the first one in 1979, over almost a 40-year history, that message of reassuring kids that they are not alone um, has remained constant in Degrassi. But what has changed is if you look at the various, um, you know, incarnations of Degrassi, junior high, high, next generation, next class, we had to be very mindful of where um, our audience was socially and grounded in the there and now. Because, for instance, when we came back with Next Generation, we had to include the internet, and, and that evolved into all the social media, whereas when we had junior high and high out there, kids were still talking with phones that were plugged into the wall. And um, so it's the core message of Degrassi, reassuring kids they are not alone, has been constant over the years. But what has changed is the need to for always evolve and meet kids where they're at. People may be surprised to hear this, but you are not a mother. But you are incredibly mothering and nurturing. Where does this come from? I have to tell you, Candace, probably the hardest piece to write in my book was the title. Um, because it's not been easy for me to own the fact that I might be a mother. Because as you'll see in my book, I have struggled with infertility. And um, I had a car crash when I was 20 years old that left me unable to have children. And that's been a, a real source of, of pain for me as a woman. And so over the years, you know, the kids would on the show, they, they would say, oh, you're my other mother and, and whatnot. And I would sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have realized over time that there are other ways to mother and there are other ways to nurture and there are other ways to be a meaningful part of young people's lives. And so now... I've, I've been able to embrace the pain of my infertility and, and realize I've, I've had an opportunity. <laughs> I've been able to be a surrogate mom to hundreds of kids, and it's been incredibly rewarding. I would dare say, dare say it's more than hundreds. I would say it's well into the thousands and thousands. Canadian teens everywhere have benefited from Degrassi. And I would like to pause for a second and note that Canadian teens are going to benefit from this book. So can you please explain where the proceeds uh, are going from this book? Yes. Well, as you mentioned in your introduction, um, I consider Degrassi to be probably the longest running anti-bullying campaign because we really are reassuring young people that, you know, be yourself, stand up for yourself. And in that journey of Degrassi, I've had a long-time relationship with the Kids Help Phone. And the mandate of Kids Help Phone is to meet kids where they're at, where they're needed. And so when Degrassi, when I was had the opportunity to write my book, I thought, you know what, I really want to continue my relationship with Kids Help Phone. It's such an incredible resource. And over the pandemic, it has more than quadrupled in terms of um, the amount of servicing that they have done to young people from coast to coast to coast in Canada. So it's my pleasure to um, donate my proceeds of my book and my um, publisher is also um, putting part of their um, sales towards supporting Kids Help Phone. Are you still involved in the production of Degrassi? Right now, Degrassi is not in production. Um, and a few years back, after 40 years of um, being an independent uh, filmmaker, um, my business was sold, sold to Wild Brain. And um, they are, um, I'm very excited to say that they are um, in development on what would be the next incarnation of Degrassi. So we'll just have to see where that takes us. And are you a little bit nervous? I mean, this is your baby. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Here's how I feel about it. 
I feel for Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High, I was sort of like, as I say in my book, right through to next Dan, I was the mother of Degrassi. I now consider that I will be the grandmother of Degrassi. And so it's actually going to be my pleasure to sit back in my living room, put my feet up, have a glass of wine, and watch the grandkids come and visit me in the living room. So I'm really looking forward to when, when a new, uh, new version of Degrassi comes out and I will be the grandma. That's excellent. You're like the empty nester. Uh, so tell me then about what it meant for you to write this book. What was that journey like? Um, well, one thing I would say to everybody, at, um, at some point, everyone should write their memoir, whether it gets published or not. Um, it was a very interesting exercise to look back, particularly, you know, for those of us who have had busy and full lives, we're so often caught up in the moment of doing and just getting it done and getting through the day and getting to the next thing. And, you know, having sold my business, not being in production, also having time during COVID, I had time to look back and reflect. And it, it was sort of, it goes back to your last question. I was able actually to join the dots together and make sense of the fact that, you know, I, I have been a mother, regardless if it's not in the most traditional way. And so many other things of my life started to make sense as I looked back. So it's, it's been a very, very interesting journey, I have to say. I'm curious then, because you don't strike me as the kind of a person who's just going to kick back and throw their feet up and relax. What's next for you? Well, I'm actively involved in, uh, my husband is the um, chancellor of Trent University, and they call me the first lady up there. And I'm very um, active in their, with their fundraising. I do sit on a board with uh, Kids Help Phone, um, and I, I'm doing a fair amount of uh, lecturing. So um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm keeping busy, but also taking time to pet my cats now and then. Well, the holidays are right around the corner. Uh, this is the perfect time for people to go grab this book for any Degrassi kids in their house, uh, fans from old or now. So where can they get the book and, and where can they keep up with uh, the mother of all Degrassi on social media? For people who are on social media, all you need to do, whatever platform, is just go search Mother of All Degrassi and you will find us. Um, and the book uh, will be available as of November the 15th in bookstores across Canada. And you can also pre-order it from your local independent bookstore or for Amazon. And, uh, and, it, oh, and, and the book has just been um, chosen for Canadian libraries as an essential read. So it will be in libraries right across Canada as well. Oh, fabulous. And I just want to let people know that over on TikTok, you take a little trip down memory lane with a walking tour uh, that everybody should definitely go check out. Uh, Linda, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. I wish you great success with this book and how wonderful of you to help kids Kids Help Phone. You're incredible. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Gen Z women and girls are coming of age in a period of increased stress and anxiety. Connected to technology from the cradle, parents and caretakers of this group struggle with how to help them navigate it all when they have a hard time keeping up themselves. Lindsay Seeley, author of Made for More, a fresh start approach to a bolder, brighter you, offers the inspiration and guidance young women need. Lindsay has been joining what she said for a series on Gen Z, and today in the fourth installment, we're looking at the Supergirl Syndrome. Welcome back, Lindsay. Thank you. Well, I think I know what the Supergirl Syndrome is, but let's define it anyway. Sure. Supergirl Syndrome is the pressure that we can all feel to be everything, to everyone all of the time. So it's, it's a big ask and a tall order. So we all feel this pressure to look perfect, to be perfect, to have all of these talents and to look like it's easy, like we're barely trying. So it's an insane amount of pressure. It is. And it's also the 
the pressure we put on ourselves to be something for other people in our lives, so be that our parents or our partners or our friends, there's a crazy amount of pressure uh, in that regards as well, as far as I'm concerned. That's so true. I think it's a pressure on ourselves to grow, to, to develop and to be our best. And it's also that pressure that I would say most women feel from the get-go to be there for others. So let me be the best daughter and sister and friend. And, you know, heaven forbid I disappoint you or put put my needs before yours. So I think it's, you know, it's basically um, double duty. Yeah, I think there's an obligation on the part of certainly parents to um, release their children from that pressure. Uh, But also, how do we get our girls to release themselves from that pressure? Right, which is, again, it's a really hard ask because I think the society, the societal messaging is so strong and it's it's a great time for young women. Um, Society saying you can basically be anything, but what they hear, what they internalize is that they have to be everything. They have to do it all today. And so, of course, if anyone puts that pressure on on us, we think, oh, that's just too much. So I can't do anything. So I think that we have to understand the context, the world with which they which they are living at this time. And it's obviously exasperated by being on on their phones and having so much exposure to what everyone else is doing and how everyone else seems to be kicking life's butt. Um, but I think when we have those conversations with our young women, I think one of the the quick quick ways I've learned to to explain this to all is really focus on what I call the three A's. So first of all, we want to always begin with acceptance. Like here you are today. Maybe here you are feeling, you know, you are stressed or feeling unhappy or feeling you want more, but you don't exactly know what that is or just feeling completely overwhelmed by all of life's choices. So here we are, and we're going to try to meet ourselves in that truth with all the self-love and self-kindness that we can. And then from that solid foundation, I think we can get to asking questions in a really open, playful, and curious way. So this isn't, you know, what are you going to do to be a successful person starting today like that's too much pressure but we can ask really easy questions like you know what is it that you enjoy doing what makes you happy what makes you smile what makes you light up what is it that you really want and i love starting questions with girls with what if dot 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 so what if you just decided to do some research or what if you made a few new friends or what if you started to save money for traveling well then what And we're just, again, trying to open up their hearts and minds to possibilities. They don't have to do anything. So there's actually no pressure in this conversation. We're just asking questions. And when they're ready, so, you know, we're at this place of acceptance and then asking, then we can get into action steps. And I think action steps are always made easy when they are so tiny so tiny, like minuscule steps. Like sometimes an action step is just having this conversation. Sometimes an action step is um, asking a few more questions. An action step could be doing that little bit of research or writing out a to-do list and just deciding on one to-do every single day for a while. So I believe such a powerful message for young women of today is that effort does equal outcome, but we've got to put in the time. And if it's little by little, every single day, it slowly chips away at what it is they want to go for. But we're always trying to remove so much pressure. A little pressure is good. That's, that helps us focus and concentrate. And that is motivation, but not too much that they're stagnant, that we don't want to be in that place. Yeah, I love that. And I love, you know, what you were saying about, you know, asking, because it sort of invites you to be curious about your life and to be just observe and 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 ask those questions without judgment and that is such a powerful thing is to be able to leave the judgment aside so true so we're removing judgment and pressure and we're just getting the brain kind of ticking like yeah what is it that i want and it's just like the most beautiful like creative process and again you don't have to do anything you're just today we're just thinking we're just kind of having fun with it, but that is the the step towards the doing. We have to start somewhere. Yeah. So I'm not a fan of of doing everything in a day, and I'm also not a fan of doing nothing. We have to do a little something. Like I am such a, a believer of like slow and steady wins the race. I have been this way my whole life. Just little by little, this is how we grow. No pressure, but also no like no complacency. We're not just doing nothing and then complaining. 
we got to do something, but just making it as easy, enjoyable, comfortable, and gosh, even fun as we possibly can. Yeah, I love this. This is all speaking my language, certainly. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure Thank other you. people listening are, are, are feeling that as well. Um, where can people keep up with you? Because you're always sharing great information. Obviously, you have your book. You have other books as well. So uh, this is the time where you can let everybody know. Thank you. So it's easiest to find me on my website, lindsayseely.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Bold New Girls. All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lindsay. Thanks for having me, Candace. I know I'm strong. I know I've got this because I've had it all along. I phenomenal. I'm enough. I don't need you to tell me who to be. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. For 21 years, families across Canada have been singing and dancing along with Sunshine and Broccoli, the Juno-nominated duo from Toronto who know how important it is for children to have music of their own. These best friends use their talent to create shared experiences that build confidence and connection. Their sixth album, Born to be Brave, aims to reassure kids who have lived through a pandemic while also encouraging them to allow their own star to shine bright. Half of the fabulous duo, Lisa Sunshine, joins me now to discuss before we play Born to be Brave for you. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, you have um, children of your own. So is that what inspired you for this album? Absolutely. They were a huge inspiration, especially for the song I Love You, because I wrote that song when my first son was born and I finished it when I was pregnant with my second. So they definitely are huge inspirations. Oh, my gosh. I'm telling you, I just got super emotional when you told me that because... You know, those it's those things with your parents, those singing of the songs or the reading of the books. Like, I can't read Robert Munch, I Love You Forever without being, I had to put it away. We had to pack it away in my house. <laughs> okay, so we just did our, our CD release show and my son was there and I couldn't sing this song, I Love You, because I would cry the whole time. <laughs> so I, I was like, next song, next song. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, so tell me then, um, this album, uh, is you just released it. When did you release it? We just released on the 28th of October. It is a labor of love. We wrote it during COVID. It was really about spreading the light. Our first song is called Shine It Bright. These kids and ourselves went through so much during the pandemic, and it was dark for a lot of us. So spreading the light was really, really important to us. The messages of I'm going to be okay, because guess what, guys? We are okay. We are so okay. We have a song called Different is Good. Everybody struggles in their own way. And I really feel like the themes in this album are deep and they're meaningful and they're a family affair. That's what we're hearing a lot of, like the whole family can really enjoy it. I have to tell you again, I'm giggling because I was listening to the song before our interview. And I loved it. Like, I've added it to my play. <laughs> so. We hear this all the Born to be Brave is like such a jam. And people, people are freaking out. And we are so happy because it's such a groove. But the message is so important. I love that you love it. Can't wait for you to hear this album. You can hear it on all streaming platforms, on Apple, on YouTube, on Spotify, everywhere and you can connect with us at sunshine and broccoli sunshine is actually spelled s-o-n-s-h-i-n-e sunshineandbroccoli.com and uh, we hope to connect with everyone all right incredible thank you so much for joining me today lisa that's it for what she said this week stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at what she said talk.com and be sure to follow on social at what she said talk on facebook instagram and twitter for videos of these interviews and more you can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 1059 The Region. Ooh, 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 ooh.
episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.